Hey listeners, are you enjoying our podcasts and coaching advice? Do you feel like some guidance and accountability could help you stay motivated and focused during these uncertain pandemic times? We love connecting with our listeners and collaborating to make training work for your goals, your life, your personality. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we want to offer any new clients $20 off the first month of coaching, which is normally $150. Email us at Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com to set up a time to connect over the phone to learn more. And be sure to mention this special offer as one of our loyal listeners. Hi, everyone. Julie here, and Lisa and I are super excited to bring you a very special episode this week. We had the opportunity to interview the amazing Laura Thweet, who is sponsored by Saucony and most recently placed fifth in the Women's Olympic Trials Marathon in February. Doesn't that seem like two years ago at this point? Laura's story is nothing short of incredible. She sustained a number of injuries over the last few years, and she talks about how with each injury and setback, she actually came out a stronger runner. And we saw that ourselves during the Women's Olympic Trials Marathon, where she was leading the pack for a lot of the race and ended up placing fifth right behind Des. She was incredible in that race, and we could tell that she was so strong, and we could not wait to have her on the podcast. We are so grateful that she took the time to talk with us today. Just wanted to let you know that about halfway through, Lisa had to go because sometimes we have to, you know, drive kids and things like that. But the interview continued and we want to just give you a little background about Laura. So after setting a personal best in the marathon of 225 in the 2017 London Marathon, Laura suddenly found herself just a few weeks later injured and not able to run for six months. She actually did not race for a full year and did not run another marathon for two years, where eventually she ran in 2019, the Chicago Marathon, and she finished in 229.06 and secured her spot in the Women's Olympic Trials. Laura's story is incredible because with each setback, she came back stronger and smarter. We know that this episode will resonate with any runner who's experienced any kind of injury, any kind of setback, and how you can really turn those injuries into opportunities to get stronger and run smarter. So without further ado, we welcome Laura Thweet to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Laura Thweet, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on here. We are so honored to have you. So, um, Lisa, why don't you go ahead and start with some of our questions? I was just going to say, I think the last time Julie and I were together, well, one of the last times was when we were watching the marathon trials together from her. We had a little viewing party when we could still, I mean, it feels like 10 years ago, we could still see people. (laughs) Right. So I think that's one of the last times that we hung out and, you know, we watched you during the trials and, um, you know, running alongside Des and just, um, you know, we knew some of your, your injury history and kind of what it took for you to get back to that, to, to that star line and to that place. And so it was really a thrill for us to watch you. And, you know, it's like a real life drama unfolding before (laughs) our eyes. So to kind of kick it off, we thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about that experience at at the Olympic trials, what it was like, you know, what it was like to run, um, what was going through your mind, just give us a recap. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, it feels like that was 10 years ago. Um, sometimes I forget that the trials were this year, because obviously so much has happened and unfolded since then. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a really fun thing to look back on. And I'm just so grateful that uh, we were able to have the Olympic trials. So many athletes this year obviously are not going to get a chance to be on that stage. Um, and so I'm just so happy that we were able to at least have that uh, and have that uh, for, you know, like, to be able to have, have had that this year um but yeah it was it was awesome um you know it was uh, a day that I've been training for for years since 2016 really um and you know after missing the team on in the 10k in 2016 like the goal was the marathon and um so that's kind of what I had my sights set on and um you know it was an interesting journey from 2016 to 2020 and I had some really great highs in there like I ran my marathon PR of 225 in London in 2017 and I think that was really when I was like okay like you have a shot to make the team in the marathon like this is like you're gonna go all in at that point um but then I, I struggled with some injuries uh, a really big one after London that kept me out for almost a year uh and then 2018 was all about the comeback um and that was going to be staged in Chicago uh, however, I dropped out of the marathon that year due to an Achilles injury. Um, and so that was heartbreaking and devastating and really made me question whether or not I had what it took um, or if I would be able to get back up to the level I was at, you know, a year prior um, and really see myself as a contender in the marathon come the trials. Um, and so 2019 was all about just getting back to that point. Um, and so I wanted to go back to Chicago and use that uh, as the stage to do that. Um, but then I got injured uh, at the beginning of my Chicago buildup last year with a stress fracture. And so again, you're kind of doubting yourself and doubting like, you know, is this something that I can do? Like, you know, can my body handle this? Like, it just really makes you question, you know, if you can compete at that level. And obviously going into the trials too, like this is the deepest the American women's field has been like ever. So, you know, it's going to be one of the hardest races. And, you know, I was just kind of like looking at all of these ups and downs I've had and I hadn't completed a marathon since 2017 and you're just like can I get there can I get back to that start line and not only can I get back there but can I get back there ready to, to fight for a spot on that team um, and so luckily I was able to put Chicago together last year um, and uh, I left that race uh, feeling like okay like I can do this I have what it takes to actually like get back up to that level of being one of the best in our country. Um, and so anyway, the trials was just accumulation of all of that. Um, and for me being on that start line, racing the women I was racing, just being back out there in that environment, that atmosphere and feeling confident again and feeling like empowered and just feeling like there's no reason I can't make this team on this day. Um, and then again, fighting with some of the best women in the country to do that. Um, even though I fell short at the end of the day, it just was a really great experience. And I gained so like, there was just so many positives to take away from it. Although it was really bittersweet. Um, I just left Atlanta being like, I'm back, like I'm ready to go. I, you know, I have another, you know, hopefully four years in the tank. And I think I proved that to myself in Atlanta, but everyone else as well. Absolutely. I think that's such a great um, takeaway. You said you fell short, but in our eyes, we were like, wow, she's amazing. Look at it. She did. I mean, it's, it's so hard when you, you know, to keep perspective when the top three make the team and you get so close. So that's, that's gotta be, really yeah. hard. but then you look at where you, you know, how you did and 
your, your performance. Did, did you go in with a race plan? Did you have a plan to stick with people? Did you have a pacing? Like, what was your plan going in? Yeah, so I've always tried to make it clear. Um, it was not the plan to lead. Like, Joe did not tell me to go to the front of that race. That was, like, the last thing I think he wanted me to do. And for those um, plan, listening, yeah. Joe, Joe is Joe Bosshard, your coach. Yeah. Okay, yeah, go yeah. Ahead. Joe Bosshard coaches me. And so our plan going in was to run more of a conservative first half. We knew the course was going to be really hilly. You know, it was obviously pretty windy that day. Um, and so we were just, Joe knew the move was going to come around 2021, 20, um, somewhere in there. Uh, so the goal was to get through the first half of the race as controlled uh, and feeling as good as we possibly could. And then the battle was really going to come probably within those last five or six miles. Um, so that was kind of the goal going in. But Joe, he was really like, he said something to me that like, I think really just even gave me more confidence out there. He was like, you're not going to feel good. Like, it's not going to feel good. It's going to be really, really hard from the beginning. And he was like, you have to remember that it's really, really hard for everyone else out there. Like, no one is going to, like, feel amazing today. Like, the course is really hard. The wind is going to be a tough condition to battle. Like, you're going to feel kind of shitty early. And, like, that's okay. And you can't panic when you feel that way. Like, you're going to have a lot of ups and downs in this race. And the calmer you can be, the like, the quiet, like, the more quiet your mind can be um as you're just ticking off the early miles in like the early stages of the race he's like the better you're gonna fare and he was like the people that do that the best today are going to end up making the team so I just remembered that as like the race started and like also it was just really cool because I've never I've done a bunch of majors in my career or three majors in my career that has been unbelievably awesome with crowd support but I've never seen or heard anything like Atlanta like it was just deafening like that middle loop before we kind of like go out and come back in was just like I couldn't believe how many people came out to, to cheer us on and to watch all of us compete in a marathon like it was just so cool and so I think it really like charged me up and it just made me really realize like what kind of day this was and like what was at stake and I just felt so grateful to be out there and I just felt so confident going into the race. I was healthy. I was really strong. I was just so confident in what Joe and I had done to prepare that I kind of got excited. <clears throat> and I think around mile eight or so is when I kind of like jumped up to the front. And then I kind of just stayed there because I was like, you know what? Like, this is my race. I'm going to make it my race. And I'm going to, I'm just going to see what happens. Like I wanted to put it all out on the line and I wanted to risk everything because that's, that's the race you risk everything for. I mean, if you're not doing that, like, you know, um, so anyway, uh, but yeah, our strategy wasn't that to go back to your question. <laughs> um, but I kind of got caught up in the moment. And then I just, in that moment, really believed that I could do this and that I could make this team. And so I kind of just went for it. And clearly you, you almost did. I, I believe it was, you were set 16 seconds away from, um, Sally. Yeah. <laughs> Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, do you think about that a lot or are you at peace with it at this point? I mean, I definitely thought about it a lot, especially when, because at one point, I think like maybe mile 23, when like the three of them had separated and then I was in fourth chasing, I heard Joe for the first time like all day and he was out where like no one was. It was kind of quiet as we were like, we like made that big U-turn to come back to the finish. And he told me at that point that I think I was like, 10 or 12 seconds behind Sally and he was like 
you're 10 seconds off of making this team. Like no one wants it more than you. Like you deserve this. This is what you've been working so hard for. This is what like everything has accumulated for like this moment. Like it's 10 seconds in front of you. Like, what are you going to do about it? And so at that point you're obviously dying, but like, you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm 10 seconds out from making an Olympic team. Like, what are you doing? Um, and then like it blew out to more cause like I really kind of imploded the last like mile and a half. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think about that and like, it's hard cause you're like, oh, like 16 seconds, like that's nothing. But at the same time, it's just like, okay, I was that close, you know, like I was that close. Like who says if I can't stay healthy and like, you know, continue on this road that like, I can't turn that 16 seconds into like zero next time. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I use it as a motivator and just kind of a confidence booster of being like, you were right there. Like you were right there. Um, so it kind of just is what pushes me forward and kind of just gives me that momentum and like that continued belief that like, there's no reason I couldn't, I can't make the next one, you know? Yeah. You have to think like on any given day, you know, 16 seconds one way or another could be anybody, you know, it's just, exactly. it's not like you were like 10 minutes back where another day it wasn't even going to be, but 16 seconds and you know, it just, it's so, it could, it, it could be anybody's, it could go any way. So that's, um, yeah. you know, that's, I think a really good perspective to have. Did you guys, when you were in a pack, were you guys working together? Was anybody like, you know, communicate with anybody? How did, how does that, how did that feel to be when you guys were together before it kind of spread out? Yeah. I mean, it felt really good. Um, no one was really talking or like no one was really communicating. You're kind of just all in this big pack, just like running and trying to like feel the rhythm of like everyone else and kind of like get comfortable just kind of settling in. Um, but it was really cool because at points like you kind of just look around you and you'd be like, man, like I'm, I'm surrounded by some of the best women, not only in the country, but like in the world. And like, we're all right here trying to fight for three spots. And it just spoke again, like volumes to like how deep the American women's distance running, like, has really become, especially in the marathon. And so it was just really cool to kind of like look around occasionally and be like, wow, like I'm in this thing. Like I'm, I'm really part of this. And even looking back on some of those pictures of that pack is just so cool. I mean, it's just so awesome, like how far we've come. Um, and then I think around mile 22 or whenever uh, Alphine, Sally and Molly kind of made their break, um, it was Des, Kellen and I, and I remember watching them pull away at like the top of this hill. And like, you're like, this is the move. Like, this is the move Joe told me about. Like, here it is. It's right where he said it was going to be. Like, this is where the race really starts. Um, but like there, I had this like moment of hesitation where you're like, I'm really tired. Like, you know, they did it like right in the middle of this hill. Uh, and you're kind of like, all right, like, let me just get to the top. And then like, I'll try and kind of like, see if I can get the rhythm going and kind of turn over and try and like get back on. Um, but then Des pulled up beside me and kind of was like, she was like, that's it. Like, that's the move. Like we have to go, like we can still like the race isn't over basically is what she was saying. Like that's the path we want to be in, like let's go. And so she kind of gave Kellen and I this boost of like, you kind of get out of your like head where you're settling and you're like, she's right. Like we still have six miles to go or five miles to go or whatever it was at that point. And you're like, why am I acting like that's it? Like I can still catch, like I can still race this race and I can still try and catch this group. Um, and so the three of us, I think kind of like got back into gear and then we were trying to work uh, to catch them. And I pulled away from Des, I think on the downhill 
um, at mile like 23-ish maybe. Um, but I knew she was charging behind. You, you just know everyone at that point is charging behind you. Like you can't count any of those women out. Um, and so that's kind of pushing you. But it was a really cool moment when she just pulled up next to me and kind of not in as many words as I just said, but like was basically like gesturing, being like, that's like, this is the race. Like, this is where it starts. Like, we're still in it kind of. And it was just a great reminder that you're like, all right, she's totally right. Like, we can still, like, there's no reason we can't like still be in this race. Like, it's not over. So that was a really cool moment and probably something I'll always remember. Uh, Cause I just feel like when someone as great as Desi like pulls up next to you and like essentially says that you're like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? Like, how can you not respond to that kind of like, you know, that uh, kind of encouragement. So that was really cool. And yeah, like I said, just something I'll always remember um, kind of feeling like, all right, like, let's do this. So that's a great story and not dissimilar to um, the uh, whole Shalane effect that uh, yeah. we often refer to where women are building yeah. up other women, even in the most competitive yep. environments. To yeah, ensure it just success. speaks to who Desi is. Um, and when you raise someone like Desi, like, it brings out, I think, the best in you um, because she really demands you to rise to that level if you're going to compete and race against her. And I think her doing that really helped me pull out that like last year and to like really give that race just absolutely everything I had in those last couple miles when it was just getting really hard. And it gets really easy at that point to kind of like give up on yourself or kind of be like, Oh, like, that's it. Like it's over. Like, why am I out here racing? And like, I think too, like I kind of like took it as like, all right, like maybe you're not, you feel like you're not racing for those, like you're racing for those top three, but at the same time, like, it's like, okay, like maybe you're not in that race to be top three in the moment, but like there's still reasons to race. Like there's still reasons to keep yourself in it and fight all the way to the finish line even if you fall short, like don't ever stop racing. And so I just, again, that's one of the reasons why I respect her so much. And I really look up to Desi because I feel like no matter the day she's having, no matter what place she's racing for or where in the race she's it, she is, she's always giving it everything she has. And so it was just that reminder to be like, all right, like, yeah, it's discouraging that you fell off that top three group, but like the race isn't over. And so you need to fight all the way to the end because you don't know what's going to happen. I think that happens to a lot of us at the end of races. Like, you know, when you're getting toward the end or, you know, realize you're not going to hit whatever your goal is, whether it's time or, and then you start to say, well, okay, it's fine if I'm then just top 10 or it's fine if I'm just, if I hit, you know, you start sliding your time down. Like, okay, if I wanted a 330. And now, okay, 345 will be okay. It starts like that negotiating in your head, especially in those last miles. Good reminder of, um, you know, you can be physically, really physically prepared for a race, but if you don't have that mental part that's going to kick in at the end to really push you to your, to your, to your potential, then it's so easy at that point. You're just tired and depleted and (laughs) hungry and, you know, just all that stuff. And then you start to give yourself permission to settle. And I think that's a great, a great point. It was just really cool um, to not do that. And so I didn't do that. Um, And I'm so glad that like in that moment where like you have that choice to make, uh, she helped me like remember like why we were there. And like I made the one that like really ultimately ended up giving me like my best race. And so, yeah, it's just, I think it's good for all of us because we've all been there. (laughs) It's really easy to settle, uh, especially at the end of a marathon and kind of like throw in the towel. 
Um, but you never know, like, you know, so much can still happen and you never know like what you can really like dig down deep and find. So. Absolutely. And, and your, your story leading up to the marathon, um, we have no doubt that that will, as Des has inspired you, we have no doubt that you will continue to inspire other runners because you did go through so much adversity to get there. And then when you got there, you easily at mile 22, 23, you could have said, you know what, I'm doing great. I got this far and this is enough, but you kept going. And before we talk about that, um, trajectory that led you to the start of the Olympic trials. I just want to comment that you, that the top three women and, and you all have something in common. And that is you all stopped running within, you know, the training components of the trials. All of you at some point had stopped running. Sally had a baby and had a lot of um, months where she struggled with recovering after childbirth. Molly um, broke her hip and had all kinds of um, issues with, with um, fractures and injuries and she stopped running. And then Alephine, um, really, really close to the marathon trials, also had um, a, mm-hmm. a very a severe injury that caused her to stop running. So maybe there's something about getting injured and not yeah. running before <laughs> your buildup. Maybe we've, uh, we've all stumbled upon something, guys. Like, you want to get seriously injured a year out from the trials, and then, like, anything can happen. Like, less is more. No, no. But, yeah, I think that's really cool. And I remember thinking about that like afterwards and like it it's just so cool because every one of those women ahead of me and like the three that made the team like they've all been through similar adversities to like some of the things I was going through and like I think it just speaks volumes to like one it's just they're all so related like their stories are so relatable and so you see what they do off of some of the challenges they've had to face and you're like if they can do that, like I can do that, like anyone can do that. And it just go, it just goes to show you, like, if you can, like the whole mindset thing, like if you continue to like really believe in yourself, despite the obstacles and challenges and like, you really like find ways to like overcome those things. Like there's no reason you can't have those kind of days. And so it's, it is, it's really cool to like look at the women that made the team and like, it's just really inspiring. Like, you know, you, of course we all want to be one of those women, but like, not having made the team you like look at who did and you're like that's an awesome team like you're just so excited for all of them because their stories are so relatable to someone like me and so it just gives me hope and inspiration going into like the next couple years that like there's no reason that I can't do what they did you know um so it's really cool to see those kinds of people make the team because they're relatable to everyone and we all have stories similar to theirs and so it's really cool it's a cool part of our sport I think for sure Absolutely. So we want to, since we started talking about it, would you mind taking us through your injury odyssey? Because you, you really went through a lot. So like you, you did something really amazing. You debuted your first marathon was New York city in 2015 and Mm -hmm. and you finished seventh and debuted in a time of, um, was it two, two, twenty-eight? And then what happened, then some stuff happened over. Yeah. So take us through. It got real. Yeah, it got real. But take us, I mean, you, you are clearly an amazingly talented marathon debut in that time, finished seventh on the hard New York City course. And then tell us what happened. Yeah, so New York was great. Um, I 
wasn't really planning on doing a marathon uh, that early in my career, but I had uh, come off of World Cross in the spring with a stress fracture. And so um, we kind of like my coach and I at the time sat down and we were like, all right, like we're going into an Olympic year. Like what can we do to kind of like revamp and like kind of give us momentum going into 2016 and just maybe mix it up. Let's do something different where there's like literally no expectation. Like let's get off the track let's kind of just go a different path and just have fun with it. And so we decided to do New York. Um, and yeah, I couldn't imagine a better place to debut. It was an incredible experience. And again, I went in and I didn't have really any expectation for myself. And because the Olympic trials were coming up in 2016, um, the American field was pretty limited that year. So it gave me a great opportunity to, again, kind of like get that chance to like really mix it up and um, just kind of enjoy some of that without all of like the like the pressure or expectation and so it was just a good year I think to debut in a marathon like New York um, and yeah we did a really simple build up for it um, like pretty low mileage just again trying to like go in as fresh as possible and just have fun and so luckily I had a great experience there really positive um, really came away falling in love with the marathon uh, but the goal for 2016 had always been the 10K on the track. And so um, it just didn't make sense, I don't think, for me to turn around and try and do 2016 uh, in the marathon. And after seeing how hard LA was and just how brutal that race and conditions were, I'm like very glad that I didn't, like I oh, knew for I sure. made the right decision. Like <laughs> there's just no way I would have finished that marathon. Um, that looked like so a was, shit show. Oh, <laughs> it, 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 did. it looks like such, when you see Shalane Flanagan cross the finish line and collapse and they have to put her in a wheelchair you're like dear god <laughs> like I would have died like my body would still be out there somewhere so I knew I made the right decision because everyone was like why didn't you do the marathon trials and I don't know like I'm really glad my coach and I decided to not do that um and to kind of go back to the track um and so I had a great spring track season kind of getting going again there um I was fifth in the 10k uh at the Olympic trials um so again kind of just falling short of like that top three I seem that to seems to be your number fifth <laughs> yeah seems to be my number <laughs> so one of these days I'm hoping to break that number but you will um, <laughs> yeah so I came off the trials like really disappointed like pretty heartbroken and at that point I was starting to have some um symptoms of osteitis pubis which is the injury that I would ultimately sustain like after the London Marathon um but it wasn't you, that serious yet can you but, explain what what that felt like osteitis pubis is inflammation of the tendons that attach to your pubic bone yeah. um but what what did those symptoms feel like back then and how did they present yeah so like I first had symptoms like pretty soon after New York like I think it was like January of 2016 and we were in the gym and I was doing like uh, a side plank where you like lift your leg and I like had this sharp, intense, like achy pain, like shoot through my groin. Ugh. And I was like, oh, that's really weird. Like I've never had that before. But like, it was one of those things where like, I was only feeling that like intermittently. So I was starting to feel it like just through lateral movements or like any type of like lateral band work in the gym. So we just stopped doing those exercises altogether. Um, but I didn't really start having symptoms running until like after the trials in 2016, I took a big break. And then when I was coming back that fall, I was starting to get that achy groin pain. Um, like after any run over like 90 minutes, like long runs, I would have like the rest of that day into like the next day where I was just kind of sore and like 
again, it was just like this weird, achy, stiff, like groin pain. Um, and then kind of like high up in my adductors, like it just felt like really kind of like ouchy. <laughs> like it was like, that's not a great feeling, but then like it would go away. And so we kind of just kept training. Um, but at the end of 2016, it was like occurring enough that I finally went in to see um, a really great, uh, uh, like he's like a massage therapist type, like ART kind of manual therapy um, guy here in Boulder named Marcus Hilly. And he, he like works on like pretty much every professional athlete that trains here. He's really good at what he does. Um, and so I went in to see him and he kind of just felt around and like looked at the tissue and kind of looked at like the mobility in my body and like where I was having some issues. Um, and he admit, he kind of thought like it could be like early onset osteitis pubis, but like I'd never heard of that. I didn't really know what that was. Um, my coach was familiar with it, but again, like we felt like we probably caught it early enough. And so I ended up shutting down like 2016. Like I didn't really do any racing for the rest of that year. Um, we cross trained and like took time. And then come January, like the goal was to do London, um, was to go back to the marathon and like hit out a really fast time there. Um, and so we started training for London early that year. Um, and then just as the block continued, I was getting more and more of that pain. I get it on doubles. I would have it longer after long runs. I would have it for you know, 48 hours, um, where it would just be like this constant achy pain there. Um, it got to the point where like, I couldn't roll over in bed. Um, I was having like a lot of pain driving or like sitting too long. Um, and I just wasn't recovering as quickly after workouts, um, or long runs or like any type of intensity. Um, but we were at that point when it was starting to get pretty uncomfortable and like more severe, I was only like a month out from London. So my coach and I kind of just like started a month taper. We just kind of like dialed everything back, um, tried to manage it the best we could with lots of body work, um, a little bit of cross training, but like really just trying to push to London because we were so close. Um, and so I did London and it went really well. Um, and so I came off of that and Wait, I really, really that. well is your PR, which was <laughs> yeah, 225. Yeah, it went really, well. really, really well. <laughs> um, yeah, somehow I got through that. And again, like, I don't know, I, I didn't really feel the injury during the marathon. I think you're like, you have so much adrenaline and like, you're just so focused in the race and what you're doing. Like, I had all this pain leading up to the race, but then on race day, it was like it wasn't there. Um, but then immediately upon finishing, I like could hardly walk. Um, and so but at that point, we knew we had to address it because it had obviously just been gradually increasing um, in severity through like that 16 week block for London. But uh, after London, I had qualified and I made the world, the world team to run the marathon in London, back in London in August. And that was our goal. Like we were going to run London, run really fast and then hopefully qualify for that. Um, and so I took two weeks off after London and then I tried to start running. Um, and it was just, it was, I couldn't get through 20 minute, like a 20 minute run. Like, uh, that achiness was so severe that I was like trying to limp and like compensate any way I could to alleviate that pain in my groin. Um, and so like at that point we were like, all right, like it's probably pretty bad. Like all my practitioners were like, you have to address this. We have to get an image and see what's going on. So I got an MRI at the end of April and it showed osteitis pubis and like those tendons at that point were like basically tearing. Um, and there was just so, so much inflammation, um, because I had been running on it 
for probably a year and a half before like we really were able to diagnose it. Um, so I'd run through it for just way too long. And so um, at that point, I got a PRP injection, hoping uh, that it would like, that must have been really, really painful to have a PRP injection. It was injection one of the there. most painful things I've ever had there. And for people that don't know, like PRP is where they um, take out, I can't remember like how much of your blood and then they like spin it for like the platelets and then they like inject it back like directly into like the injured area. Um, which and was to, your, like around was, your pubic yeah, bone. Like, right, with, like directly. Oh. Yeah, so really invasive, extremely painful. Um, one of the most painful things I've ever done as far as treatment goes, trying to like resurrect running. Um, like sometimes I laugh at the things we're willing to do to ourselves. Oh, for <laughs> so, like, sure. Keep yeah. ourselves out there. I think we all have stories of like these crazy things we've done treatment wise. That was one of the most painful things I've ever done. Um, but I did one of those. And, but again, at that point I was so injured that like, it, it just wasn't going to do much. And so I ended up having to withdraw from worlds and we just had to completely shut things down. And so I took six months of no running. Like I didn't run a step for six months because at that point, really the only thing we could do was completely stop and just try and let the tendon like heal on its own. Um, and so I took so a month. So you, so you took six months off. Yeah. Did the doctor ever, did the doctors who diagnosed you and, and looked at your MI, did they ever tell you what caused this? And the reason I want to get into specifics is because there are entire groups devoted to um, people call it OP and yeah. people don't, it, it is kind of a common injury that's not talked about that much where it, it can be career ending for different ki kinds of sports. There's all kinds of athletes that get it. Um, did you get any insight as to what causes it or what caused it for you that maybe you could share with those who might yeah. be dealing with this? Um, well, and like, you're absolutely right. Like I'd never heard of it and I thought it was this really rare injury, but ever since I've been diagnosed with it, so many people have reached out who have also been diagnosed or who have experienced it to some extent. So it is, it seems to be a pretty common injury, especially in the running world. But I think what we thought a lot of what played into mine was one, I have a huge leg length discrepancy I can't remember like the exact like difference that like I'm off but it's large enough that like it was really causing a severe rotation in my pelvis and like I was having to compensate so much on one side um to kind of make up for that difference that it was like really causing issues on the other side um and then also I had really weak glutes really weak hamstrings and really weak hips and so all the areas around the pelvis that were supposed to be like turned on and are supposed to like be working for you while you're running um weren't working like I was primarily trying to, like I was a lot of my power at that point was coming from like my quads um and like so a lot of that like impact was misplaced like through my pelvis because um and my lower abdominals were also super weak so all of these like like deficiencies or like weaknesses in like my structural makeup were causing a lot of the issues that I think led to me being diagnosed with OP. And so that was a big part of my rehab was looking at all of these areas that like really I had never used before because they weren't strong enough to actually activate while I was running. So I was using all of these other like muscles uh, to make up for the fact that like my hips, my glutes, my lower abdominals, my hamstrings, like weren't actually doing what they need to be doing. And so 
when I was rehabbing from OP, like I spent hours in the gym with a really great personal trainer who was um, like, he was very well educated on osteitis and he and my practitioner worked really closely together. And so he put in, he put together this training program that like really focused on all of those areas. And the goal was to basically start from square one and just get those areas to turn on and to activate. And then once I was able to like effectively activate those and kind of get those muscles turned on by doing these like really basic exercises like band work, um, like glute bridges, like very basic, like uh, double leg hamstring curls, like some planks, like just really basic exercises that are basically there to just get those muscles to switch on. Once I was able to switch those muscles on, then we could really start the next phase, which was to strengthen those muscles and to really start putting in like that piece of it. So that was a really, that was like 90% of like my rehab and recovery was all spent in the gym, trying to like basically rebuild my body so that it could handle not only the impact and the intensity that I had to put on it to run, but to make up for that structural difference that I have in that leg length discrepancy, it's really important for all of those areas to be doing what they're supposed to be doing and to be activated and to be strong enough to actually help uh, me run as opposed to like me. Like, I, I think I went through most of my career never using those because they just like, I didn't know how to activate them and they weren't strong enough to actually do what they were supposed to. And so that was really, I think, what ultimately led to the breakdown. And again, especially like training on the track is really difficult, but also like in a marathon block, like, oh, I think a lot of your weaknesses kind of come out because you just can't sustain that type of mileage and intensity and then like the marathon itself without some type of breakdown if if you're not on top of everything that you need to be on top of and like I just wasn't for so long because I didn't I had no idea the importance of strength work mobility work I didn't really start doing any of that until this injury um but since then it's made all the difference for me and I think I'm a better stronger runner than I was before the injury because I had to learn the hard way but now all of that stuff is like a really integral part of my training. That's amazing. So I think your story is very relatable because first of all, you said that with marathoning, a lot of times your injuries are exposed because of all the mileage. But at the same time, a lot of your form, you can kind of hide behind not having the best form because when you're running fast, your biomechanics on a track have to have to really be, you know, spot on to and, and, and it's easier to do when you're running shorter distances. But with longer distances, everyone, you get tired, you get sloppy, and you don't even realize yeah. it. And your and, body breaks down, and then yeah. you're, trying to comp- you're still trying to push yourself. But if your body's not strong enough to actually hold up, uh, and that breakdown's happening like more and more consistently, like it's ultimately going to lead to something you don't want it to. So that's super humbling. You went from basically in the same month going from being one of the top marathoners in in the world, female marathoners, you ran a 225 in London that year to having to shut down and go to a gym and learn how to do bridges to engage your glutes. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, I always laugh because I think the sport is very humbling because you can have like the highest of highs, but then like almost immediately after, sometimes you're faced with like the lowest of lows. And so it was, it was really weird going from like this moment of like, oh my gosh, like I just ran 225, like 
I'm one of like the best like all-time American marathoners ever like at that point I was like there's no reason I can't make the Olympic team like I was just on this high of like holy crap like I had this huge breakthrough and then three weeks later I had to shut everything down and yeah go to the gym and basically relearn how to like had to like restructure my body um and ended up doing that for like the next six months and I was away from racing for almost an entire year and so that was really difficult and I think a lot of that happens to a lot of people maybe in varying degrees but this sport is so hard because you know like I always joke like it's like a love hate like I obviously love running so much and I'm so passionate about it and I think one of the reasons I feel that way is because it's so challenging at the same time and it like really forces you to like fight for it um and it really like teaches you how to overcome and so that's those moments are what make like the great moments so great but when you're in those tougher moments and you're really facing those challenges and obstacles it is really hard to remember that and so in those times you're like I hate this like why do I do this like running is so hard and like um, you know, it can be so cruel sometimes. Um, but ultimately, like you have to have both of those. So like, really, I think I think both of those is what makes it so great. But it's really hard to see that when you're in such a tough time, where you can't do it. It's really hard to remember that. Oh, for sure. Especially when I mean, we as runners don't love being in the gym. Traditionally, no. <laughs> runners like running outside and we like to run and that's all we want to do. <laughs> yes, exactly. So when you um, started doing the gym work and, and having to dig deep and, and restructure your body as you as you stated, um, were you still able to do other types of cross training? Or were you completely shut down with respect to uh, aerobic activity? Um, so I took the first month of that six month period, like right after the diagnosis, I took that completely off. Like we just shut things down. I just like went to complete rest. Um, and then once I got through that month, I started, uh, that's when I started in the gym and I was primarily just doing like the very basic mobility, like very light activation type exercises in the gym. Um, but then I started to pair that with aqua jogging. Um, so my practitioner was basically like, you can cross train however you want, as long as you don't have pain, you can't have any type of sensation, pain, anything that hurts you, um, you can't do. So like, you really have to let that be your guide. So the bike was out of the question just cause like, I, I couldn't sit in that position. Like I was still in so much pain at that point. So I basically did five months of just aqua jogging like I was only in the pool and then I was only in the gym so that was basically the two things that I did and then I was getting like rigorous body work done um to again like get all of that junky stuff out of like my tendons and tissues while I was learning to rebuild and restructure like the body work was really essential and making sure that everything was as um like as loose uh and like pliable as it needed to be to like put all of this type of different load on it so I was getting a lot of body work done um, and then the gym and the pool. So that was basically what like the next five months looked like with the goal at the end. I mean, and my practitioner said he was like, it's a six month minimum. Like it can be six months to a year before you're really running again. Um, and so we were hoping to be on that six month side. And so, but the goal was I had to be able to do lateral movements 
in the gym without any type of pain or sensation whatsoever. And once I got to that point, then I would be cleared to like slowly start like, in, like putting in like very light, like walk jogging. Um, so yeah, that six months I was just in the pool and just in the gym. Um, and so that did was that help? Like, did that help you through your recovery was even though it sucked and you had, you couldn't run and you were doing gym pool and body work. Did having that purpose where you were throwing everything into your recovery, did that help you psychologically or was it, was it harder as a result of having to juggle three things, none of which sound very desirable? No, like, honestly, like, yeah, there were really hard days where you're like, I hate this. Like, I, like, I just want to go run. Like, I don't want to be doing these things. But at the same time, like, for me to get through injury, it really helps if I create a new routine and a new structure. So like, okay, I'm not training the way that I would want to be training by running, but I'm still training. Like, I'm still pushing myself to that limit every day. It just looks differently. And like the purpose being to get me back out onto the roads and to get me back out doing what I love, like this, all of this was necessary to do that. And so that became my goal. And that's how I looked at doing all of that. And so I had a new, like I got, I got up every morning and instead of going running, I would go aqua jogging and then I would come home, like eat breakfast, like, you know, watch some Netflix. And then I would go to the gym for an hour and a half. And like, I would do that. Then I would come home and then I would like, you know, like you eat dinner and you like do the exercises that like you need to be doing to kind of slowly help keep the mobility going. Um, and then like you go to bed and then you do it all over again. So it was different training, but like it was still training. And the whole goal was to like overcome this in injury and to be back out there like better than before. So like that was kind of the drive that I have was like, this is, this is an ideal, like this is a huge like speed bump, so to say, like it kind of like, it's a huge, you know, like turn the wrong way. Um, but like, I, I'm in control of what I'm doing. And I like, by doing all of these things, like I'm going to be back out there like better than ever. So like, it's just having to like reshape your mind and kind of re like, you just kind of, you have new goals set for yourself. So like your goals look different, but you set new goals um, with, you know, the ultimate one, like overcoming the injury and being able to go for a run pain-free. So that kind of is what like drove me and kind of what helped me just take it like day by day and week by week um, to kind of get through to the other side. I love that. We always tell our runners who are in injury and, and myself, I've, I've dealt with some injuries over the years and my motto is always, I want to get a PR in recovery. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. It <laughs> That's helps. exactly it. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. Because you still I think for a lot of us, we it's really important for us to have those goals set, which is what drives us to train as hard as we do, like running wise. But when like, that's taken off the table because of injury, you have to set new goals for yourself. Um, and new little milestones along the way. Like, I always say celebrate the little victories, like, the days where like you achieve something in your rehab that you're like, Oh my gosh, like this is a big milestone. It means I'm moving in the right direction. Like there's still so many of those things that like you can find and you can kind of use to keep yourself as positive as you can and to keep yourself pushing. It just looks different during that time, but it's ultimately you're still doing the same thing. For sure. So once you return to running, you really, you didn't really return to running for quite some time. Um, share what you did when you were given the green light to start running. Yeah. So I think um, my first run back, I was able to do one minute of running 
followed by nine minutes of walking three times. So three minutes of running. Yeah, so I did three minutes of running, and it was the most glorious thing ever, but it was also, like, you feel so awkward, and, like, you just feel so, like, all over the place, and, like, it feels so foreign because it's been so long, but, like, you don't even care. You're, like, I don't even care what I look like right now. Like, I'm running, Um, and that minute goes by so quickly, but I remember that day, it was in October because it was almost exactly one year out from the Chicago Marathon which is why I wanted to do Chicago in 2018. Um, Like that was the first day that I ran and it was one of like the best days in my career. Like, because at that point you're like, I did it. Like, yes, I still have a really long way to go because it was a very gradual, like we added a minute each time I ran. Like I had to take a day off. And then the next time I ran, I ran two minutes on like eight minutes off. And like, you just do that all the way up to like a 20 minute run. But if I had any pain or any discomfort or soreness following like a running day, we would take like two or three days off and I would go back to the pool. And then I would start back at that running day that like, you know, like you you don't like skip ahead. You have to go back to like running three minutes on seven minutes off and then do that until like you don't have pain and then you can increase. So it took October to I think the end of December I was running 30 minutes like I was I was running like 30 to 50 minute runs um but it took almost three months before I was actually doing like continuous running without the walking breaks um but yeah it was that first day back was I'll always remember it (laughs) it was really that's amazing (laughs) and you didn't you ran pain-free and that's a huge accomplishment you went yeah returned to running pain-free and you knew your body was you put your body back together which is yeah and like you're pain-free but you're also just like I'm so like I felt stronger because I had like this new body essentially and I was like as we slowly got back into training I was like I'm doing things that like I couldn't do prior to the injury just as far as like workouts or like how fast I was recovering after workouts or harder days just because my body was so much healthier but also so much stronger and like I just had never known how important all of that extra work is um until that injury like I'm someone who if I could just run like I would just run like I don't like to cross train I don't like to do any of the stuff in the gym but I had to learn how important that is um, in order to do what I want to do. And so, um, now I continue to do all of that stuff and it continues to make a huge difference for me. So uh, I'll skip ahead for a second and ask you, uh, what, what do you do specifically, um, with all the miles you run? What does your strength training routine look like these days? Um, aside from quarantine, but I mean, generally when you're training, how many hours do you devote, do you devote to strength training in conjunction with your runner? with your running and on what days do you typically do your strength training? Yeah. So, um, I, I do strength training twice a week for about an hour, like an hour session twice a week. Um, I try and match it up on workout days. Like my, so my team, like I'm on team boss and Joe is really, really great at like, he understands how important that strength component is for the team. Um, and he's like thrown himself into like, like researching and reading and like learning everything he can possibly learn in that area to then provide the appropriate strength work for like all of us to do. 
Um, and so my team always pairs it on their workout days, which we work out three times a week. So two of those workout days, like our faster, like interval sessions, we're doing like heavier strength training with like more weight and kind of like, um, it still has mobility in there, but it's like more of like a heavier weight type day. And so then like dead, on, like deadlifts, like and deadlifting and like a lot of dumbbell work or like lunging, um, or like side lunges with weight, um, reverse lunges with weight, um, core with weight, like, you know, like dead bugs where like you have like a kettlebell and like you're going back and stuff with that. Um, we do a lot of like side planking with weight, like on a bench. Um, so that's what two of the days look like. And then the third day is usually after our long run. Um, and it's just mobility. So we're just in there like stretching, rolling, doing um, very light, like core and very light kind of just mobility work with adductors, hips, band work, um, just to kind of get things um, like kind of turned back on and kind of speed up that recovery after the long run as we then go into the next week of training. Um, however, I'm a little bit different. I, um, for the most part, up until recently, I've been working one-on-one -on -one with a strength coach named Chris Lee. Um, and so he does a lot of work with Runner's World, and he also is the strength coach for the 10-man elite group here in Boulder. Um, and so I've been working with him. So my practitioner, Marcus, introduced me to Chris in the fall of 2018 after I came off of my dropout in Chicago. Um, and again, was having to like We'll get, kind to, of we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, yeah, kind of having to like rebuild. But that's when I met Chris because um, Marcus was just like, listen, like he's one of the best in the industry. He has a really great eye for um, just kind of like structural building and can like really individualize a strength program for you, not only to come off of this injury, but like moving forward. Um, I think he could make a huge difference in just really helping you get stronger and then stay healthy. So I work with Chris um, primarily. And so he and I work twice a week for an hour and then I'll still do like a mobility session with my team. Um, I was doing a little bit of stuff with the team. Um, like we have training camps up in Crested Butte every year. And so when I'm up there, I'm more integrated into what the team and Joe is doing, which is very similar in a lot of ways to what Chris and I do. But for me at this point in my career and just given the injury history that I've had, um, having that one-on-one -on -one with Chris is really, really great because it's important for me to know that I'm doing everything correctly and like all my movements are correct. Um, and he can also tell when things aren't firing. And so we won't lift heavy that day. We'll just use it as a reset day to make sure that like all the mobility is there, that my hips are turned on, my hamstrings are turned on, my glutes are turned on, like all those essentials have to be working for me before I can just add on to the lifting. Um, so anyway, he's been a huge part of the last like year and a half um, and not only helping me like overcome a lot of these injuries, but just staying healthy and like getting to a point where like, like I'm stronger than I've ever been. Like I can, I can deadlift like 160 now where That's three awesome. years ago, if you told me I could be, I'd be able to do that. I'd be like, no way. <laughs> like I never knew the importance of lifting heavier being a distance runner. And Joe's a big believer in that as far as like, not only what it can do for your strength and endurance, but what it can do from an injury prevention standpoint, um, just strengthening like your bones and your tendons is so important. Um, and so Joe has the girls lift like pretty heavy. Um, and so Chris got me to a point where like, I can now do that 
but I couldn't do that two years ago. We had to kind of like get my body to a point where I could like lift 160 pounds, you know, like I couldn't do that. So Chris was great at being able to get me to a point where like I can now do those things. That's a great point. I think it's important for people to understand that um, while it's good for you to do deadlifts and, and lift heavy, if you don't have proper form and you don't have someone guiding you through that process, um, that can lead to injury as well. So I think that's yes, a great Yes, and you're point. not getting like, you're not maximizing like what you can get from that if you're doing it incorrectly. Um, so it's so important to have someone like initially maybe help you with that because until you get that form down, um, yeah, you're, you're risking an injury or just not, you know, you're not going to get what you want from it. So um, for yeah, me, having one-on-one -on -one is great. That's great advice and, and worth a little bit of the investment, even if you just do one session to just get it right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So going back, you mentioned, so you returned to running, you set your goal for Chicago and um, what happened after you recovered from OP? There were a couple other hiccups. Yeah. So I got back to running and training consistently probably by like about like end of January, um, beginning of February. And so I set my first race back. Um, I did the Shamrock Shuffle, which I think is like middle of March. That was my return to racing. Um, that went really well. Um, is that, is that the Shamrock Shuffle in Chicago? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a great race in Chicago. I'd never done it. I'd always wanted to. And like I said, at that point, my coach and I were kind of like, like Chicago was the race I wanted to like return to as far as like, I'm back and I'm ready to cross the marathon again. So I went, we went to Chicago in March and I did the shuffle and I was, I won it. And so it was that's awesome. great, like race back. You're just like, I'm healthy. I'm strong. I overcame this injury. Like I'm back in the game. Um, and so then I did a couple other 10 Ks throughout the year. I did like healthy kidney in New York. And then I went and did the Ottawa 10 K in Canada, um, like in May. And then I went to Australia and I raced the gold coast half, which was an incredible experience. Um, got a new half PR. Oh, that um, and then beautiful. It was so one, that's a really fast race. So if anyone is looking for a half marathon, somewhere exotic, when we get to a point, obviously, where we can hopefully <laughs> healthily travel again, um, that's a great one. It was super fast. I think that it starts at like 6am. So it's like dark for half the race. So it's just like perfect conditions. And then like the second half of the race, the sun is rising like over the uh. bay. Um, and it's just such a fast course. They do such a great job with it. They also have the marathon the same day, which is really cool. So I always wanted to do that half. And so we went over and did that, spent some time in Australia, which was really cool. And then we came back to start our Chicago block. Um, I had been healthy up until that point. Things were going really well. Racing was going really well. Um, it just felt so good to be back, back at it. Um, and so the goal for Chicago was to like really use it as like, this is my return to the marathon. I wanted to PR. I wanted to run like 223. Like that was the goal going in, um, was to like really kind of just throw myself back in there, um, and prove to myself that like, I still got it after all this time. And like this huge injury, like I can back up London. Um, but I don't know, like the block was going pretty well. Um, but about a month out, I got this like kind of soleus Achilles flare up. Um, it didn't, at first it didn't seem super serious. Like it was kind of disrupting some training, but for the most part with some cross training, some days off, some body work, like I was able to kind of continue through the block. And again, at that point we were only a month out. So 
if we needed to kind of pull back and taper early, like we had done for London, like I felt confident that like, if I just did an early taper and rested it, like I'd be fine for the race. And I think at that point too, like I wanted to race Chicago so badly for so many other emotional reasons that like, it kind of blinds you from actually being able to see like, or be able to ask yourself, like, is this the right idea? Like, I don't ever stepping to the start line of a marathon with like a little bit of a pain or a soreness or like a small injury in the back of your mind is like, is not the way that you ever want to, like, you don't want to be on that start line feeling that way. Um, but at that point I was convinced that once the race started that I would be fine because in London I was fine and I was much more injured. So I just, I just couldn't quite like see anything past being on that start line um and so like the week leading in I was still having some issues with it um but at that point I was like I'm so close like I'm just gonna rest it like I'll just jog around for the next like 10 days and then like I'll do the race and like I'll be fine like I did most of the block I have the fitness um I have the strength I just have to get this right and so the race day came um and I started and I went out pretty conservative like we kind of threw out the 223 and my coach was like just run conservative you know get to halfway see how it feels and if you feel okay you can obviously like close out the second half um but it's not worth stressing it too early if we don't have to like see how it warms up I don't know I got to like 5 miles and it was getting pretty sore um but then I got to six and it was getting worse. Seven was worse. And then by the time I got to like nine miles, I was limping on it. Like it, it just like seized. Uh, and like my whole calf had locked up and like, I couldn't flex my, like I couldn't toe off anymore. So I was kind of just like limping and like, you're at mile 10 at that point. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to like limp my way through the rest of this thing. Um, so it was one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever had to do. And I think any athlete who's been in a position where they've been forced to drop out, like, it's like it's I've never dropped out of a race in my entire career and to drop out of Chicago not only like on that stage at a major marathon a marathon that's flown you in to like perform you know on their stage who all these people like believe in you to do that like I don't know like it just felt like I was not only letting myself down but like all of these other people that had done so much to get me to the start line um but I just knew I couldn't finish in the condition that I was currently at and so I dropped out but it was devastating because obviously this race meant so much to me on so many different levels and this was supposed to be my comeback race from injury and here I am dropping out of it with an injury like it was just one of the the more like dark periods (laughs) of my running career um and that was really hard to overcome um London was like the osteitis pubis was hard to overcome from a physical standpoint. This one was really hard to overcome from like a mental standpoint, because at that point I just completely doubted myself and I just didn't have any confidence that I could return to the level I wanted to be at. Um, And so the injury was not as severe as osteitis. I think I took like a month off and then I slowly kind of was able to get back into some running. Um, but it how was did just you, like a huge, it was just how did you deal with that blow. disappointment? Like when you were low and you were feeling that way during that month, what tools did you use in your toolbox to get through that dark time? Um, a lot of other people, like I feel like very blessed as an athlete because I think 
I think it's, it's what we do is so hard and can have so many challenges that if you don't have the right people in your corner, it can be like really isolating and can be an even darker road. Um, and it's hard to get through those, those times by yourself. Like you need, it's okay to lean on other people and it's okay to call in other people to lean on and to, and to help support you through that time. And so I did a lot of that. Um, I, you know, like my parents are amazing. They've always supported me. Like they were there, um, my practitioner who I'm really close with was there, like my boyfriend at the time was there, like, you know, friends, teammates, like you just have all these people that are like reminding you daily that like, yes, this is really hard. Like, yes, this sucks, but like you can overcome this too. Like you can rise up from this and you can learn from this and you can move forward. Like there's no reason you can't do that. And so you hear that enough. And then you look back on everything you've overcome to that point And you're like, okay, like, what am I going to do about this? Like, I'm not going to let this be the last thing that I do. Like, I'm going to somehow fight my way back from this. But it was also really hard because at the time I was um, leaving my coach of seven years and my track club of seven years. Um, And so, I mean, it just got to a point where um, Lee and I, we just were, we just didn't see things in the same light anymore. And I felt like we had this incredible seven year journey and seven years of my career that I will forever be grateful for. Um, And I'm so glad that I was part of the Boulder Track Club over those seven years. But I think we kind of both got to a point where I don't know if like outgrowing each other is the right word, but like we kind of just came to a crossroads and I think we both knew that it was our time to move on, um, which is what we did. But that was really, really hard because my entire professional career I had spent with Lee, all of my success had been with Lee, especially in the marathon. Um, but I just knew at that point we were, you know, just over a year out from the Olympic trials. And if I was going to make a change, like I had to do it then. Um, and I wasn't running at the time because of the injury and I was dealing with a dropout of Chicago. So I was like, all right, just get it. Like now's the time to address all of it make the appropriate changes and then start 2019, like ready to roll. Um, and so that's when I started talking to Joe Bossard. Um, I ran with him and Emma Coburn at CU. They were two of my best friends. I lived with them my senior year. Um, and so we'd always just stayed in touch over the years, even though I had gone on to like run with BTC and Emma stayed with Mark and Heather for quite some time before branching out and um, going with Joe um, and kind of creating team boss as it stands now. Um, but they so both I'm, reach out to me. I'm going to make an observation. And I think it's really cool that, you know, ultimately you chose a coach and you did the research. You, number one, you did it when, again, you did something productive when you were injured to get that PR and recovery. <laughs> you took all of your energy yep. and you put it into thoughtfully selecting your next coach. And that yep. takes a lot of emotional energy. So that's a positive thing you did. But number two is, not to compare again, but it's similar, like Molly Seidel, you picked a coach who is a peer to you, a friend to you, um, <laughs> yeah. somebody you, you've, and I think that's very interesting, and I think it really underlines the importance of the coaching um, relationship. It's not just about the coach's expertise, but it's about how comfortable you feel with that individual, how how much you can share with that individual, and, and how comforting that individual is to you during the great times and the not so great times. Am I, am I totally. leaping here or is this? No, okay. you're, you hit the nail on the head. Um, and for me, I'm an athlete that like, 
that relationship is really important to me. Like I want to step out there and feel like we're a team. Like I want to feel like they're feeling and going through exactly what I'm going through. Like I know not every athlete needs or requires that, but for me, I think that's why for so long we and I worked so well together because I felt like we had this relationship where he was in my corner, no matter what I could lean on him, no matter what, like, he and I like worked really well together as a team and I like really fed off of that and used that relationship and that support in my training but also my racing and so I knew I wanted that in another in my next coach like that relationship being able to create and foster a relationship like that um it was really important to me um and so I was looking at you know like you're looking at kind of like various marathoning groups um, just because I knew like my future for this second half of my career would largely be in the marathon. Um, but I just kind of kept coming back to Joe and Emma because they were just at the time, they were such good friends. They knew I was going through a lot. They knew things had been pretty tough, like the end of 2018. Um, they knew obviously Chicago was devastating. They knew it was really hard for me to kind of leave Lee in the BTC and kind of figure out this next step. And so they were just there as friends, just trying to support me and help me figure out like what this next step looked like. Um, but Joe kept saying like, I want to work with a marathoner. Like I know I, I don't have any experience in that area, but he was like, I want to grow as a coach. Like, if I'm going to coach a marathoner, like I want it to be you. Like, I think you and I would work really well together. Um, and like my biggest concern wasn't Joe. It was like, I was like, your group's a track group. Like I'm not right. going to have anyone to train with. So like, I kind of want training partners because I didn't have a ton of training partners with Boulder Track Club. Like I had amazing teammates, but I was doing kind of a lot by myself there at the end. And so I kind of defeats the purpose of marathon training because you do want to have buddies to run with when you're doing those. Um, And so I knew I wanted that component. And Joe was like, listen, he was like, you're right. Like primarily focused right now on like 15 and up or like 15 to 10 K like tops right now. Um, But he was like, these are some of the best women in the world. And he was like, you'd be surprised at how much you would overlap with them because of how I approach training. Um, Like, obviously, when they're on the track, like ripping these intervals, like gearing up for like, you know, USA's or Diamond Leagues or the Olympics. Yeah, our training will probably be different. But like that strength phase or that base period that Joe finds really important to complement the speed stuff, he was like, a lot of that is going to overlap with you. And he was like, you have athletes like Emma and Aisha Protlier who are very versatile athletes. So not only are they really amazingly fast on the track, but they're really strong on long runs. Like Emma can crush 15 mile long runs at like 610. Like it's incredible. So he was like, they're so good in so many different areas that like they're going to help you a lot more than you think. And he was like, but the same goes for you. Like your strengths are going to be completely different in some areas from theirs, but that is going to make them better. And so he was like, my goal as a coach is to build a team that completely complements and helps and challenges and pushes all of us to be the best we can be and to compete at the highest level that we all want to compete at. So he was like, I see you fitting into that as a marathoner. And he was like, obviously you have to believe that too. And you have to trust me in that. But he's like, if you can do that, like, I think we could really create something pretty remarkable. Um, And so that really stuck with me. And 
again, he was just such a good friend, he and Emma both. And I was, I just felt immediately comfortable with them because we had this relationship. And so I was like, all right, like it was almost a no brainer at that point. And so in December of 2018 is when I officially became a team boss member. Um, and it's been an amazing <laughs> journey and ride since that point. So I'm very grateful to both him and Emma. <laughs> That's awesome. So he took you through that second injury in that phase um, and he helped you return to racing again. So when you returned with Joe, um, it, what happened then? I know there was another situation yeah. that happened. Um, it was so again, like, I just want to like compliment Joe because I think it was really, so I struggled when I first joined, like mentally, it was really hard adjusting to a different type of training after having done something for so long, a certain way. Um, and I really struggled in finding my stride in the group. And I really struggled in believing that I, like, I just had trouble in believing in myself. Like I just didn't believe in myself anymore at that point he was really, really patient with me and realized that that was happening and really just like allowed space for me to kind of come to terms with that, but then to slowly help me start to find ways to overcome this mental block that I had created for myself because I just, I lost a lot of confidence after Chicago. I lost a lot of confidence leaving Lee. Like I just kind of had to find myself again or trust that the same Laura that had done all of these things in the past was still there. I just had to like believe that she was still there. And so Joe really helped me find that. And Corey and Emma and Dom and Ish at the time also really helped me slowly start to find that confidence in myself. Um, so the first half of 2019 was really tough racing wise. I wasn't racing great. I was struggling. Um, I was like 19th at U.S. Cross and like I ran 32, 30 something on the track at Peyton and just was just running below where I wanted to be. But I was just really struggling mentally with racing because I just didn't have that confidence. So Joe took me to Crest of Butte in May last year. I did four weeks up there with the girls, just got back into some really simple marathon training, tempos, mile repeats, long runs, just very simple training, which is how I like to train. Uh, I love just, I love training where you feel like you're just running. Um, and so Joe finally recognized that and brought that back into my training. And so I went to uh, the mini 10K in New York last June and I raced and that was the 10K championships last year and I got fifth. Um, and I was yeah. leading a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, again, like I've been fifth so many times that you're like, when? Well, this is my number. Like people are going to call me fifth. Like that'll but be you've like also been legacy. first. So, <laughs> but I've also, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was fifth there. Um, I was, it was like Sarah Hall, uh, Steph Bruce, Alphine, Emma Bates and myself. Um, and we were this pack like that entire race, but I fell short, like the last 800, like I just didn't have the leg. Um, but I finished that race and I was like, I'm freaking back. Like yeah. I finally raced with that confidence again and it felt so good. And Joe recognized that. And we were both like, all right, like we nailed this race. We're going to go into this block, like ready to go. But then like two weeks after that race, I was having a ton of foot pain. Um, and I ended up having to drop out of a long run. And Joe was like, we need to figure out what's going on. Like we're about to start our marathon block you know, we need to, anything that's off, we need to correct now. So I went and got an MRI and I had a grade four calcaneus stress fracture. 
um, which is like the worst type of stress fracture. Like it's like a, it's like the fracture, like, right. It's like the stress fracture right before, like it actually like completely breaks. So were you in a boot? So, yeah. So this Ugh. was end of June and I was supposed to start my Chicago block, like beginning of July. Ugh. And so I was like, you've got to be shitting me. Like, are you <laughs> kidding me? Like for a whole year, all I wanted was to return to the streets of Chicago, redeem myself, like, you know, race the race that I knew I was capable of, like show Chicago that like, you know, like I wanted to make amends, right? Like I just felt so horrible that I had dropped out and I just, I couldn't race another marathon until I raced Chicago. And also at this point, I didn't have a qualifier for the trials, let alone the Olympic standard. So we kind of had to get all of this in Chicago. And then I had this grade four stress fracture where I had to go, I was in a boot for six weeks, um, like non-weight bearing, only in the pool. Um, but, and so at that point, Joe was kind of like, all right, like, I think we need to reassess stuff. And I was like, no. <laughs> it was like I am going to Chicago I'm going to be on that start line and I was like I want us to do everything we possibly can between now and then to give me a shot to go there I was like I don't care if I run 244 like I'm going back to Chicago and I'm finishing that race like I have to do a marathon before I can even think about being ready to race the Olympic trials um, I think there's so many people listening to this right now because we're a Boston Marathon podcast that are listening to this thing. Oh, yeah. oh, that was me trying to qualify yeah. for Boston. I mean, I think this whole part of your story is very relatable with respect to, I will figure it out. I've got seven weeks, but I'm going to figure yeah. it out. So what did you yeah. do during those seven well, weeks to get to Chicago? Yeah. So Joe and I had this, he was about to leave for um, St. Moritz with the girls because they were all racing worlds in Doha. So they were about to leave for like the majority of the summer. Um, And so at this point when Joe and I talked, I think we had 13 weeks until Chicago, 13 or 14 weeks. Um, And so I was like, listen, like, I think, I think we can salvage this block and I really want to try, like, let me try. And so Joe, Joe at that point was like, let's scrap the marathon. We'll qualify in a half at the end of the year, get you to the trials. And then like, we'll do the trials. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, mentally, I don't want to do that. Like, I need to run the marathon and know that I can complete the marathon healthy. And I was like, too, like, I have to go back to Chicago and, like, redeem myself. Like, I just, I've had blinders on for so long. And this race at this point has become even more important to me. Um, So bless his heart. He was like, all right. He was like, we'll, like, I'll back you in this. But, like, I still reserve the right to, like, say no if it doesn't make sense like it's not worth risking your overall health if it comes to that so I got in the pool was cross-training my ass off I was in the gym with Chris twice a week Um, I was working with my practitioner twice a week Um, I finally got to a point at the end of July where I got on the alter G and so then I was starting to do like half on the alter G half in the pool so I would like awkward jog then I would go run on the alter G and then I would go back into the pool um and then we got seven weeks out is when I started to be able to ground run so I started ground running like middle of August so we did like a month of pool and alter G and gym and then we slowly phased out some of the pool and then we were doing alter G and ground running so I would do like workouts on the ground And then I would do all my like easy runs or doubles on the alter G. Um, And then I would still mix in pool in that. So I would still take one day off a week just in the pool. 
then we would do like two days on the ground with a workout. Then we'd get back on the Alter G and then I would do another workout at the end of the week on the ground. Then I would double on the Alter G and then any days that I wasn't like doing Alter G and running, I was doing the pool. So we had this like mixture of all of this different stuff so that we obviously didn't have to stress my foot too much, but we had to stress it enough to obviously know that I could like finish the marathon. Um, and so we got in like maybe six really great workouts and I got in three long runs, one of which was three hours. So I ran like 27 miles. Um, so at that point we knew we could complete the distance. Um, but every day was just like, I had to be completely pain-free. So we did this. Yeah. So for the last seven weeks I was ground running, but I was still doing like half of everything in the pool and on the alter G. Um, and so I got to Chicago and I was like, well, like I have nothing to lose. Like there's no expectation once again, because, you know, I have no idea where my fitness is. I think I'm like decently fit, but like we just couldn't push it enough to know. Um, like the goal was just to run really conservative and just like get come the time. Off of it healthy and get the time. So Joe was like, you cannot, like, this is like race morning. He was like, you cannot go out with the people you want to go out with. He was <laughs> like, do not go out with Steph Bruce. Do not go out with Lindsay Flanagan. Do not go out with Emma Bates. He was like, if I see you run a five minute mile, like if I see you run faster than 550 in the first mile, I will leave. Like, he's like, I will leave. He was like, I do not want to be here and watch you slowly implode over the course of 26 miles. So he was like, you're going to have to use your watch the first half of the race. Cause normally I don't, I don't use my watch in a marathon. I so just, you like, raced like the rest of us with staring at your Garmin. Yes. The whole time, which is really funny because, okay. So I was like, all right. So Joe was like, your race plan is this. He's like, you have to do the first 13 miles at this pace. He was like, we're going to pace it out for like, He's like, I don't want you going faster than 233. Like, you have to be running in, like, 545, 550s. Like, that's your job. Like, that's your sole mission. The first 13 miles is to run, like, just over 230 pace. And then he was like, if you get through halfway and you feel okay, he's like, I don't care what you do. You can race. Like, you can stop looking at your watch and you can race. But he's like, you have to get through halfway very conservative. And he was like, I think we're fit enough to run 235. Um, so he was like, that's the pace you're going to go out on. Um, so I was like, all right. So the race starts and like, you know, you kind of like let everyone go, uh, and you're running and I'm looking at my watch, but it's saying that I'm running like 445 and I was like, that's not right. So then I would like kind of slow down and then it said I was running like 515 and then I would slow down more and it was like, you're running 510. Like it, my watch was all over the place. Yeah, and so that's Chicago yes. the signals suck there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had no idea what I was running. And so I was like, shit, like I had one job and I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. So I'm just like running, like, you know, like you're with all these guys and like, you know, there's some random girl floating around and like, I'm just trying to guess at what I think the pace is because I can just see Steph and them ahead of me. And I was like, okay, I know that they're running like or 5.30. Like I knew they wanted to go out really aggressive to try and run like under 2.25. So I was like, I need to be just off of them where I can barely see them. And so that worked for a while, but then it got to a point where like I obviously just lost them in the crowd. Um, so I think at like mile like five or six, um, Taylor Ward. Yeah, I think it was 
no, 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 sorry. It was Sarah, Sel- Sarah Sellers pulled up next to me and she was kind of with this guy pacer. And so I was like, Hey, like, do you mind me asking, like, what are you trying to run today? And she was like, Oh, like I'm trying to run like two thirty, like two twenty nine or two thirty. So I was like, okay, like this is my only hope, right? Like she's trying to run around two thirty and get faster. Like I'm just going to tuck in with them and like hope for the best and get through halfway and see what happens. So I tuck in with her and her pacer and we catch like a bunch of guys. And then I think Taylor Ward caught us. Uh, Jen Bergman was in there for a while. So we had this like nice group of like 15 of us that were all like wanting to run around like low two thirties. Um, and so I got, I finally got into a rhythm, which is what you want in the marathon. Cause the first five miles I was like all over, like, Oh shit. Like I, I knew Joe was tracking me and I was like, <laughs> if I'm running too fast, he's literally leaving. Like he's not even going to stick around for the finish. Um, and so I got into a rhythm at like mile, like eight or nine and I was feeling really good. I felt really controlled. So I got to halfway and I was like, all right, like I'm at halfway. I think I went through half and like. 75 minutes or like 74 30 and so I was like great like now I can just like take it home so then I just started racing and the beauty of Chicago is like you have all these guys like you're not out there by yourself so I, my goal was just to pick off like each guy so like I'd catch one and then like you'd see another one and then you'd push to him and so all I right. think I got to mile like 17 and Joe was like I heard Joe and he was like you're on 220, like, like you're running like 229. He was like, um, or like 228. I think at that point I was like on 228 pace. He was freaking out. He was like, he's like, if you feel good, go. He was like, the girls in front of you, like they're blowing up. Like they might come back to you, like keep the pedal down and like race, race, race. So I got to go ahead. Like I kind of looked at him when I saw him and he like nodded and he was like, you can go, like you can race. So I just started racing at that point. And it was just so, it was just so fun. I, even at one point, like I was smiling because I was like, I'm back at Chicago. I've passed mile 10 where I dropped out. I feel really good. Like, it was just so great to like be back on that stage healthy and like running a marathon. Like I was really doing it after all this time. Um, and so I finished in like 229.06 and I got eight. Uh, and Joe was like ecstatic and he was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> I didn't amazing. think that you're going to do that today. And so, and you got your OTQ, I got my OTQ. Um, I got like, I was all set. Like I finished a marathon. And so I crossed the line in Chicago ecstatic just because like, after all this time, I finally had gotten back to the stage and like proven to myself that like, I still had what it took and I did it essentially off of like seven weeks of training so I was like, just think what I can do in Atlanta with an entire block. And now Joe and I have a system of how to stay healthy and how to tweak training so that I can get to a marathon healthy. Um, and so I just knew at that point that like, I still had a shot to make the team. So crossing the finish line in Chicago in 2019 was probably one of like my top three, like greatest, like career moments, just because of like what it meant to finally do that. Oh, for sure. And I think it's really interesting how, again, your injury really taught you how to be a better runner. Your first injury taught you that you needed to have a strong body. And then your second injury taught you that you don't need to run off of a ton of miles to be a successful Mm -hmm. marathoner. So um, I know we're running out of time, but if you could indulge us and just share as you prepared for the Olympic trials, how many miles per week you ran on the ground and and what you did um, when you weren't running doing ground running 
Yeah. So after Chicago, Joe was like, okay, like we're going to train for Atlanta, just like we trained for Chicago. Um, he was like, we're going to do low volume. We're going to make our workouts and long runs be the big days that count. But on like, we're still going to take one day a week where we're only in the pool. And then he was like, we're going to like double in the pool. So he was like, I think I averaged 65 miles a week going into Atlanta. And I did uh, the rest of that to kind of like equal, let's say a 90 mile week. I did all of it in the pool. So I would do Sundays would be a huge long run. Like I would do 18 all the way up to like 27 miles. I did one killer run up at Magnolia road. Um, and after that run, I was like, I Atlanta can like bring it, like <laughs> it can't be harder <laughs> than what I just did. Um, but I would do a big long run Monday. I would be in the pool, like only in the pool. I would do like 90 minutes of aqua jogging on Monday. And then Tuesday was a 10 mile run in pool. Wednesday was a big workout in pool. Thursday was an easy run in pool. Uh, Friday was another workout in pool. Saturday was uh, an easy run in pool and then like start all over again on Sunday. So um, yeah, I think I had like a few weeks maybe where I hit like 75, 80, but we probably only had two or three weeks of that. So Joe after Atlanta was like, you average 65 miles a week of ground running. Um, That's incredible. So, you, you were absolutely one of the lowest mileage people out there. I know there are a few um, runners that finish well behind you that have similar training regimes where they used uh, swimming or cross training or pool running, but you were uh, top five and you ran um, really low mileage, relatively speaking, on yeah. the ground. But yeah. in listening to this and tell me if I'm wrong, it sounds like basically what you and Joe did was all of your easy miles, all of those um, conversationally paced miles generally were done in the pool. Yep. And then the workouts with the speed work and with the tempo, that was what was done on the ground. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and so I just I'm really grateful to Joe because I think it can be really hard for a lot of coaches to like adapt and adjust training to really like individualize like the needs of the athlete. Um, and so Joe was really great. And he was just like, listen, like you've done hot, like, high mile, high mileage, high volume marathon training. He was like, you know, like you're, you know, like you're 31 years old, like you have that foundation in your legs. We don't have to train to get that foundation. Like you already have it. So he was like, all we have to do is get you to the start line strong and healthy. And he was like, if you can show up strong and healthy, he was like, there's no telling you like what you can do in the race. Um, but he was like, that's our goal for you. Like, that's going to be the game changer for you. Um, and so he like really changed everything around and like adapted this like new version of marathon training for me to allow that to happen. And so that's why I think I went into Atlanta so confident because like, yeah, it's kind of an alternative marathon block comparatively to like what everyone else is doing or like what you see people doing. Um, but I like, I just knew that I was strong. I knew that I was healthy. I hadn't felt this good in years. Um, and I was just so confident in how we prepared, um, that I was just like, there's no reason that I can't go into this race just as confident, um, like off of this training, if I had done like versus doing like a hundred miles a week and feeling the same way. Like I just, I just really believed in what we were doing and I was just grateful to have someone that was willing to adapt and change so much to make sure that like I could still show up on this day and have that day. So 
I'm just really grateful to Joe for doing that. Um, and then I just believed wholeheartedly in it because I think, you know, Chicago went so well and I got to actually see what can happen if I can show up healthy. Um, and so I just like took that belief and poured it into our Atlanta training. And so when the race came, I was just like, there's no reason I can't run really well off of what we've done. Like, there's no reason I should believe anything different. Um, and so I'm just really grateful for that because it, it's made it, I mean, it's definitely, I think training, being able to train this way um, or having confidence to train this way, I think is going to give me that longevity in my career that at points before I didn't think I was going to have, but now I'm thinking, why can't I go another four years? Like there's no reason I can't do that. I think you could go much longer. There's no reason you can't than four years because basically all the things that you're sharing are lessons that um, many masters runners implement. Um, yeah. There are many ways to train for uh, races and it doesn't have to be all about volume. And right. even for some people, doing a lot of speed work is what causes injury. Everyone is different. And yep. you sharing your story and your journey, which is very different than most, I think is very helpful to the amateur runner. So thank you for providing all those details. I think it's super yeah. helpful. And congratulations on, you. <laughs> you know, an incredible race, but also believing in yourself and, and staying injury free and recognizing that it, it is all about getting to the start line healthy because we can all have a really great race, but if you aren't getting to the start line healthy, you can't, period. That's right. the first exactly. goal. Exactly. Like, it's like you can train, you can do all this stuff in training and be really fit, but if you're getting injured and you're not able to perform off of that, then like something has to change and it's just getting to a point where like you realize that. But I think what you said, I just want to highlight that is like, training looks different for everyone and it's really easy in this day and age to look at what people are doing and be like I have to do that to be good or to run the way that they're running or to be able to race them you don't you do not have to do what other people are doing like you just have to figure out what works best for you um and be able to then execute that and then take confidence in what you did to the race line um, but yeah, I, I know it can be easy to compare training and to think volume matters or all these big things matter when it's like all that matters is that you're doing the right thing for yourself um, and executing that and then being confident in that. And so that's, I think, just a huge thing that I always try and highlight, especially like with my high school kids. Like it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. It just matters what you're doing and if you're doing it well and you're staying healthy doing it. Great advice. That leads me to my last question. And um, that is in addition to all of us runners and our disappointment um, with re respect to cancellation of races. Um, there's now a lot of communities, including our own, where um, cross-country seasons are canceled. And so speaking to all of the athletes who are listening, um, whether um, the high school athletes, college athletes, um, and all of the athletes who were counting on having some races coming back soon. What advice do you have um, in dealing with this time and how um, they should be approaching their running? Yeah, I mean, I just want to say that, like, it's really hard. Like, I, I still go through waves where training like it's hard to find that motivation to train and to like get yourself out there every day to 
you know, to put in the miles or to do the workouts. And you're kind of like, what am I doing this for? Um, it's really hard when our seasons are being canceled or races that we were really looking forward to running and have trained really hard for and have worked really hard for are being canceled. And um, I think th those are definitely the right things to be like, those are the right decisions to be made right now. Like I definitely think um, the cancellation of like, you know, seasons or big races that like jeopardizes the health of all of us. Like we have to make those hard decisions, but it doesn't mean that it's not really hard for the rest of us to kind of figure out how to keep moving forward in this time of so much uncertainty. Um, and so I think the big thing is like, one, you're not alone. Like so, so many people feel exactly how you feel and are trying to figure out what they need to do to kind of keep moving forward and to find that motivation. Um, I always come back to like, I run every day because I love to run. And with all of this craziness going on and all of like, you know, with all the change that's happening in our lives right now, like running's the one constant that like, I take a lot of comfort in every day. And it's that little bit of normalcy, just getting out the door and going for my run. Um, and so then I think, okay, well, you know, why am I like training can be sometimes harder to wrap your mind around because you're like why am I killing myself in a workout when there's nothing on the horizon but I think you know each person kind of has to make that choice for themselves if that's the right thing for them right now or if the right thing is to take a step back and to just enjoy running or to like take a break like everyone's kind of approaching it differently um but I think the biggest thing like what I tell my high school kids and like I get this from Desi going back to Desi like races are going to come back like they are going to return they might look a little bit different for a while but like there's always ways that you can still push and challenge yourself and there's still so many different ways you can set goals for yourself so like if your seasons are canceled all right like maybe you can do like an inner squad time trial like my team just did inner squad time trial and ran 421 in the miles like you know like Amazing. it's really hard to do that and it's obviously not ideal um but like there's still a lot of different ways you can push yourself and really challenge yourself and push your limits and still run hard without races um so maybe you set goals for yourself like that like do a time trial get some friends together and do a, a time trial or you know train for take like you and your team train for five weeks and then you have like a two mile time trial or you race the 5k like together or you know like it's just having to like readjust and like readapt some of those goals but like you can still set goals for yourself that get you out the door and get you training every day um so I think that's kind of like all we can do right now is be ready for when the races come back but kind of come up with our own ways to stay in it and to stay really motivated and just to have fun with it. And I think now's a great time to just remember why we run uh, and just to remember like the beauty that comes with being able to do what we do every day and the simplicity that we get from doing it. Um, but yeah, like set, you know, set, you can still set your own goals or even like stuff like Strava, like how fast can you run a segment or, you know what I mean? Like there's still so many different ways, like virtually we can share our running successes with one another, even without the races. So I guess I would just encourage people to find those ways and just to remember you're not in this alone. Um, and we're all out there running every day. Uh, and we're all like, we still have the ability to run hard, even without the races. It's just finding like how you want to do that, I guess. So Great advice. Well, Laura Thweet, you, um, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your story and taking the time to talk with us. I have no doubt that our listeners will 
benefit greatly from your experience, wisdom, and advice. So you're terrific. Thank you so much for Thank joining us so today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Um, so and fun. I just want to quickly uh, thank my sponsor, Saucony. Um, I, could, I wouldn't be where I am without all of their support. Um, so I'm just really appreciative uh, to have a company like that backing me. So absolutely, they are champions of women, and there are so many soccer athlete, athletes out there. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we just named a couple in this podcast, and you're right. You work for an amazing. You work for an amazing sponsor, and I think it's incredible and a testament to them that they've stuck with you through a lot of yes. trials and tribulations. And look how successful you are as a result because they build you up and they support you. 100%. Yes. Yep. Thank and you for I'm that. so grateful. Yeah, I'm so grateful for that. So thank you for giving me the platform. And yeah, this was so much fun. So thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Take care, Laura. Bye. You too. Bye. We are really excited to announce that we have our first sponsor. R&J Sports, which is located in Maryland, is the first sponsor of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Even though R&J Sports is a locally owned running store, they do ship nationwide and have a website from which you can order, rnjsports.com. If you go onto the website and purchase something over $100, just put in the code RFFFEATURES, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S, and they'll throw in a free pair of feature socks with your purchase. You can also call the store at 301-881-0021 and over the phone, they'll provide some terrific guidance on which shoes are right for your foot. While it's not the same as a in-person fitting, for many of us, we can't do that yet. So this is a great option. In fact, one of our runners in China recently contacted the store and they provided her with some great advice and she was able to get a replacement pair of shoes that's working for her very well. So again, call RNJ Sports at 301-881-0021. Let them know that you're with the Run Farther and Faster podcast. And if you make a purchase of over $100, they'll throw in a free pair of socks or you can go on their website. Thanks so much, RNJ, for sponsoring our podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.